Hello there. This is Def Star Radio. I'm Lorenzino Estrada, along with my co-pilot, Christopher Howley. Chris, it's been a while, but we're back, and we're halfway through Season 2 of The Mandalorian. I, I can't believe you just said those words. I felt like we were waiting for The Mandalorian since, like, 1812, but here we are, and we're already halfway through. Yeah, it's been a pretty big year for Star Wars content. We started off the year with Season 7 of Clone Wars, and then we had a new video game, and here we are toward the end of the year, finishing off season two. I know, yeah. I mean, who would have thought 2020 would be a big year for Star Wars? I didn't because, you know, they they cap off the Skywalker saga in 2019. They drop Fallen Order. They drop The Mandalorian. You're thinking, how could they have a year like that? Well, they do with, I mean, if you're an extended universe fan, they do. And Star Wars really, really knocked it out of the park this year, I think, with almost everything they've done except for maybe – the Martez sisters in episode two of the Mandalorian, but we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah. And I think arguably the best thing that we've gotten is the Lego star Wars holidays. Oh my goodness. How could I forget that glorious <laughs> piece of star Wars? Look at that. Yes. That is also a very enjoyable one, but Mandalorian tops it all, I think. And I'm excited to talk about it with you. Well, the next 45 minutes are going to be an in-depth review on the Lego Star Wars holiday special. So All right. I think you're on the wrong <laughs> All right. Well, I better take these <laughs> notes and throw them out because this is for the wrong one. <laughs> well, the stakes have been raised uh, in season two of The Mandalorian. We've gotten four episodes so far, four chapters, if you will. And uh, it started with chapter nine, uh, The Marshal. And we kicked off season two of The Mandalorian and essentially... We get back with Mando and the child, Baby Yoda, as he is trying to find other Mandalorians to help him on his quest to reunite Baby Yoda with his people. And he ends up back on Tatooine, where he hears that there is a Mandalorian at a town called Mos Pelgo. And he goes there and instead finds a marshal who is wearing Boba Fett's armor. And together they fight the crate Dragon. Um, Mando kills the crate Dragon and helps out the people for the marshal, who is Cobb Vance, someone from the Extended Universe. And in return, Cobb Vanth gives Mando Boba Fett's armor. So, Chris, what did you think of Chapter 9, The Marshal? I think Chapter 9 of The Mar- uh, the Marshal literally was the best kickoff of Mandalorian Season 2 that they could have done. Because it just, not only was it the longest episode of The Mandalorian, you know, after felt like we waited so long for this, even though we really didn't, but 2020 has been that way. You know, we waited so long, and it gave us a nice 55-minute episode, and it just felt like a short movie. It gave us like personalities for the Tuscans. It gave us, you know, Boba Fett's armor. A guy like Cobb Vanth, who, you know, I read uh, two of the after- aftermath novels, and he's in those books. And it just kind of felt like they were, they were, you know, as an extended universe fan of Star Wars, they they're they're basically saying we see you. Like we're we're gonna put some characters in here that you know that other people are just getting introduced to, but you already know them. And I think we've seen that over the last four episodes of The Mandalorian, but I think they really kicked it off well. Um, Mando was in full form, taking out the Kray Dragon. He was in full form to begin when he was at the the bar and uh, took out mm-hmm. the Cyclops guy and hung him up on the on the um, the street light. Couldn't think of the word there, but I think that it literally could not have started better. You know, we didn't need a huge plot mover. To I, in my opinion, to start, we didn't need a huge plot mover, and this wasn't a huge plot mover, but it didn't feel like a filler episode either. It felt like we were getting some really good Star Wars action, and I thought I was very pleased. Uh, what about you? 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think kind of a, something that we're going to keep going back to as we talk about these four episodes is just how grateful we are that John Favreau and Dave Filoni are, are in charge of this and pushing forward the Mandalorian because like what you said, they see fans of the extended universe and they're not just catering to maybe that casual Star Wars fan. And, and again, as we go throughout the episodes, we'll get a little bit more in depth with the extended universe, but I thought it was great. I loved the fact that this was kind of like one of the first in-depth looks we got at the Tusken Raiders. Uh, they were so humanized um, in this episode. And something that you pointed out to me when we watched it for the first time was kind of like a throwaway line in New Hope when Obi-Wan says uh, Tusken Raiders, you know, they travel together, they travel in a line. And, and we see that as they're coming to the town of Mos Pelgo. Um, I absolutely love the fact uh, when the villagers and the Tusken Raiders come together to fight the crate dragon once that battle takes place the aspect ratio changed i just i thought that was so top-notch and again kind of a uh, wide opinion of this series is you can tell the amount of money that's being put into the mandalorian and it feels like it feels like a movie you know and that's very simplistic to say but you can tell all the effort that's being put uh into this series so far and just the fact that we're getting so much fan service with, you know, getting more about the Tusken Raiders, uh, the crate dragon, you know, I mean, that was just the skeleton in the, in the background of a, of Tatooine, you know, when we first got introduced to, to the planet in a new hope. So just the fact that we're learning so much more that you're expanding on it. Um, it's, it's, it's a star Wars fans dream, you know? And I also think we're getting, we're learning that we're kind of like chipping away a little, at Din Djarin, uh, Mando, and his belief system. And what I really liked about the Marshal was the fact that I think Mando's beginning to realize that being a Mandalorian is so much more than just wearing Beskar. And I think we see that predominantly in this episode because at first he immediately wants to kill Cobb Vanth, you know, and he's like, take off the armor or I'm going to take it off your dead body. And instead, they work together, they fight. And I'm sure that by the end of that episode, he sees Cobb Banth as someone who is worthy of that armor, even though he is not from Mandalore. He's not a true Mandalorian. And I think throughout this season, we've been seeing, you know, that character development um, from, from Mando and Din Djarin, which leads us into Chapter 10, The Passenger, where Mando's trying to get off Tatooine. He has Boba Fett's armor. And he's going to he's going to keep looking for other Mandalorians, and he brings along Frog Lady. I mean, that's the way she's credited in the show. And he's going to take her to the planet Trask, where her husband knows of a Mandalorian or a potential Mandalorian covert. And on their way over there, he escapes from the New Republic, and he crashes on a remote planet where it's infested with um, these spiders, which were taken from the original concept art from Ralph McQuarrie. And essentially, they just have to get through the planet. They're saved by the New Republic, and they go off on their journey. So, Chris, I think uh, between you and me, this is probably the worst episode of the bunch so far. But what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, unfortunately, I think this is probably the worst episode of the entire show in my eyes. Just because I remember remember what I was saying um, about the first episode. Like, we didn't need it to be a big plot mover um, it didn't feel like filler. This really felt like filler. You know, the plot didn't move at all. And I mean, you could argue the plot moved because his ship was destroyed, but 
I mean, if you've caught up to episode four, you know, that really doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, I, it's, mm-hmm. it's really, I mean, I guess there is a little bit I'll go into when we get to episode four, but you know, the spiders, I feel like this just, this episode kind of gave a little bit of a personality to baby Yoda a little bit more because before he was just, the, you know, he was a package they were carrying around. Now he has a little bit more of a personality. You know, he's eating the eggs, which by the way, he's, he's committing genocide, which is <laughs> terrible. And, uh, baby Yoda needs to figure that out or the child, whichever you prefer to call him. And, um, yeah, I, you know, there's not much that I, I like about this episode. It's the effects, special effects are incredible. You know, it, it looks fantastic. I will have to say when the new Republic ships come in at the end to save him from the giant spider and they leave with the techno version of March of the resistance. I, I got to say, that's very good. I love that. I love that they're kind of referencing the resistance when it comes to the new Republic. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of that stuff. Uh, uh, Frog Lady, I, I, I like her character. I like her character more in Episode 3 than I do Episode 2. Um, one thing I did really like about Episode 2 was the cold open um, where he gets, you know, there's like four bounty hunters or whatever trying to get whatever Mandalorian mm-hmm. or whatever Mando has and he ends up, you know, killing the last one with the jetpack. I think that one's that's really fun and Baby Yoda gives a little emotion then. He like sticks out his tongue. And so that's that that part's a little fun, but you know me, I don't like spiders and you know, when you put like a thousand spiders together, I'm probably <laughs> not gonna be a huge fan. Yeah, and I I agree. This episode really didn't do much for me. Um as as Star Wars Rebels being my favorite Star Wars show so far, it really reminded me of uh the episode called The Honorable Ones, which I just looked up because I couldn't remember the name, but it's in season two of Rebels. And it's when Zeb and Agent Callus are stuck together on an ice planet, and then they have to escape from these creatures. You know, it's very much the same plot, except different characters. So watching that, I was like, this is, I'm getting like, you know, high key Rebels vibes from this. And I really appreciate it. And it was a good time. And like we just said, the special effects were were top notch. Um, and, but yeah, it do, it doesn't push the story forward other than the fact that they are essentially halfway through on their journey to Trask. But if you would ask me, I would have much rather preferred to just get Trask by chapter 10 and not have to throw in this episode um, where we have to have this sort of struggle, you know? And I think one of the good things we got from this episode was maybe potentially we got baby Yoda's theme when he looks into the um, canister of frog ladies eggs and he like puts his hand on them and these eggs like gravitate toward him and there's that little like theme in the background by Ludwig and I really enjoyed that but but like what you said um, chapter 10 just kind of one of those that when you look at the season in totality there's not going to be much to say um, for it kind of like the way the gunslinger was in season one and I'm guessing that every season will potentially have one of those even though if you're looking back on the gunslinger though there are pieces of that episode that make a lot more sense because of chapter nine um which we didn't even talk about boba fett um (laughs) yeah we completely we completely yeah so boba fett's at the end of chapter nine and we find out that that he was probably the shadow figure figure at the end of the gunslinger chapter five so i mean there's a little bit of a you know reference there and 
it kind of makes it a little bit different. You know what I mean? But yeah, definitely Gunslinger and uh, Chapter Ten. I watch. I'm. I forgive me. Oh, the Passenger. That's the name. Uh, it was just it, they swung and missed and. Star, I would say Mando's in still in good hands because they hit it out of the park with the other episodes they've done so far. Speaking of, we go to chapter 11, The Heiress, where we finally get to Trask and we have a very wholesome scene of Frog Lady being reunited with Frog Man. And um, Mando is told that there are people who know of this Mandalorian covert. He meets them in like a in like a diner. And he boards this ship, and it's a ship manned by Quarren. And they hit Baby Yoda into the water, and his egg, his capsule, is, like, devoured by the sea creature. And Mando gets thrown in also, and he gets saved by three other Mandalorians, one of them being the one and only Bo-Katan Kreese, who saves Mando and tells them that, or tells him that they need their help stealing weapons so they can retake Mandalore. And that's what this episode follows. They get on the ship. Uh, they take it. Mando, once again, is is lied to. And the plan is a lot bigger. Very Lando, Darth Vader, you know, situation going on there. And they take the ship. And Bo-Katan name drops Ahsoka Tano saying, you have to go to the planet Corvus to find this Jedi to help you on your mission to reunite Baby Yoda with his species. So this is kind of the biggest episode of the season so far. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was fantastic. You know, as another person, another extended universe fan, they, you know, they show Bogotan. You see the helmet, you know exactly who it is. Now, of course, for other people, mm-hmm. I think Favreau and Filoni have done a really good job of like, she introduces herself. People understand who she is. Um, I think there's a little bit of disparity when she says, Mando, you're a child of the watch, you know, me and you know what Child of the Watch is. They're a child of, of Death Watch. And, mm-hmm. but not everybody knows what Death Watch is that's watching Mandalorian. Like, let's be honest, the, the middle-aged mom who's watching it for Baby Yoda probably doesn't know who Death Watch is. So I think there's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a gray area there, which is kind of tough for the casual fan. But as an extended universe fan and a big-time Star Wars fan, I'm a huge fan of this episode so many so, yeah, yeah and, sorry so many references and you know we get sasha banks character which we all thought was sabine in the trailer and she's yeah. not and i'm kind of <laughs> glad she's not you know she plays her own character she does a very good job she has like two speaking lines but you know other than that she's she's pretty damn good and then oh my goodness we get our first moff gideon showing of the season and that, you know, every time I think of this episode, I just think of his line where he says, long live the Empire. And you're sitting there and you're like, and you hear his, like, dun 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 his theme. And it's just, goodness, man. They are playing Moff Gideon, I think, very well this season. And they're building him up. And this episode just, like, solidified that. We get our first look at him. And all you want is more. And I think that if you're doing that to the audience, then you're, you've done a pretty good job. I absolutely agree. Um, I think when we learn that Mando is a child from Death Watch, I, that just it explains so much, you know, because that's something that a lot of people were like, well, 
there are other, especially extended universe fans, they're like, well, Sabine takes off her helmet and like Bo-Katan always takes off her helmet. You see all these Mandalorians when you're watching Clone Wars and Rebels that they're taking off their helmet, but Mando's not. And I think that's such a critical aspect now of Mando's character. And it shows why he's so stuck in his ways. And I thought that was really good. Um, once again, adding to the character development of the Mandalorian and seeing, again, the callbacks to the extended universe. I mean, the ship that they, that they board to steal the weapons, that's a ship that we've seen from rebels already, you know, and adding to what you said about Moff Gideon saying, well, long live the empire. And this, um, this commander of the ship is willing to, to destroy his ship and, and to kill himself. So they wouldn't get their hands on, on these weapons. And I think that that speaks volumes to what's happening in the empire right now that there's so little room for error that if a ship is compromised, like the way it was, that they're just saying, okay, well, we have to, we have to go down with it now. We can't, like, nobody can get captured. Nobody can give up information because we're planning something big. And we're, we're like, you know, we're in the last stretch with us. And I believe this show at the moment is before the battle of Jakku. I could be wrong. Um, but I think just like the state of the empire, you learn so much from a line that is only a couple words long, you know, long live the empire, but there's so much backstory to that. And I think that's what this show has done an excellent job at just, you know, creating more discussion for things that we've been questioning for some time. Yeah. And um, just to clarify, I'm like 99.8% sure this is after the battle of Jakku. Um, but this whole this whole like long live the empire thing that they're they're building upon and the the you know the empire is not gone but it is i i kind of like that because you know the empire was so big there were going to be people that wouldn't be willing to get rid of it so i like they wouldn't be willing to just like oh the emperor's dead sounds like we're done so i'm kind of i'm kind of intrigued by what they're going with this for this we're going with for this idea but other than that, you know, this episode was just fantastic. Like we got four Mandalorians, like three actual Mandalorians, and then, uh, then obviously Din Djarin, and we just got to see how like, like I, I loved the the line, the throwaway line where it's, uh, there's got to be at least ten of them, and then he's like, "There's only four life forms, sir," and you're like, "Oh," and then they go, mm-hmm. "They're Mandalorian," and then their eyes widen. It's like I love that. I love the. Because everyone hears the stories of the Mandalorian. So I like that. And I think this episode was well done. And uh, it leads us into the fourth episode, which was awesome as well. And I'll let you describe it to people. Yeah, and you are correct. I looked it up. Uh, Battle of Jakku is a year and four days after the Battle of Endor. So there's that for for transparency and clarification. (laughs) There you go. But we move on to chapter 12, which is the siege. And Mando's ship is uh, completely broken down and and still battered from um, chapter 10, the passenger. He gets repairs on Trask, but it's done by Mon Calamari and it's it's not a very good job. So he goes back to Navarro and we meet some familiar uh, faces with Grief Karga and Cara Dune. And Navarro and the city is completely changed. It's now all of a sudden a, a bustling you know, trade destination. There's a school, there's a statue of IG-11 in the, uh, in the background. And they're asked, or Mando is asked while his ship is being repaired to help dismantle 
uh, an imperial facility that's still nearby. So Mando goes there uh, with grief, Kara and Mithril, who was in the pilot episode of this series, and they go to overflood the reactor and destroy the imperial base. But while they're there, they or they look at a transmission from Doctor Pershing, who we also saw or who we who was on season one. Uh, I believe it was chapters two and three, and they're talking about how the blood received from the participant being the child. It has it's had adverse effects on test subjects, and we see those test subjects in kind of like these paws. They kind of look like back to baths, but they're not. Um, so it appears that the Empire or what's left of it are trying to figure out how to clone with, um, you know, blood that is with force sensitive people, and they specifically use the term M count. So the Imperial facility is destroyed, and Mando gets back on his mission to finding Ahsoka Tana. Yes, and I mean, not to not to throw out or to continue here, but uh, yeah, he's on his way back, and we find out that the Empire has placed a tracking system on his ship, and Moff Gideon delivers like the best line he's ever delivered, ever. <laughs> he looks looks straight into the uh, the Imperial like officer's eyes and goes like, and we will be ready. And you're just like, oh my goodness, like they basically said, there's the first half of the season. Buckle up because none of the trailers in the footage, or none of the footage in the trailers, is going to be in these next four episodes. So you better get ready. And I couldn't be more excited. But that's where I know I said something about chapter two having some meaning here. I guess if his ship isn't destroyed, he doesn't need it repaired, and the Empire doesn't put a tracking beacon on him. Um, I mm. guess there's that, but still, chapter two or chapter ten. Let's not talk about it. Um, but I've been waiting to talk <laughs> about this episode for a very long time. I mean, we've talked about it, but like since we started this episode or since we started this recording, I've been wanting to talk about this. So obviously, there's big stuff with the cloning and the midichlorian count and. I'll let you kind of go get into that and what you think could be coming from that. I think one of the biggest things here is how the Mandalorian is bringing some sense to the sequel trilogy. And there's a really important conversation at the very end. Cara Dune has with the new Republic officer who has a name that I don't know. Um, and he talks about how there's something going on out here, out here being the outer rim. And no one believes it on the core worlds and they need local support. So that something has to be referred, not just to Moff Gideon flying around going like, oh yeah, we got some, that something is a clear reference to the first order and how the new Republic didn't take it seriously. So it makes sense why in force awakens, they got hit with star killer base. All those planets exploded because they didn't know what was happening. They had no idea that was happening out there, but they just let it happen because they didn't believe anything anybody was saying. And I thought that that's, that's really awesome. You get the little slow version of March of the resistance in the background when he leaves the badge on the table. And, you know, I think another reference is he talks about how um, she's from Alderaan. And I think that's kind of a clear reference to when those planets exploded in the force awakens. It's like a foreshadowing saying like I served during Alderaan, like, He's basically saying, we need you. We don't want something like that to happen again. And it does, unfortunately. And I think that mm -hmm. single conversation 
is my favorite part of the episode because it just feels like, you know, just feels like they're putting more emphasis on the, the sequel trilogy there. And it just, it feels good because there's been so much negativity around the sequel trilogy. It feels nice to like have something good to say about it. Like, trust me, I'm a fan of them, but it just feels really good to not like go, this is, this is like, okay, but I really liked this. No, I feel like this really helps. Like, I think Mandalor the, the Mandalorian is really going to help build up a positivity towards the sequel trilogy. And I think this is the start. I completely agree with you. And John Favreau has said from the very beginning that the Mandalorian is going to show um, a little bit about how the first order rose to such arose to such power. And this episode is, is a clear indication of that. Um, and I like what you said, it's giving a lot more context to the sequel trilogy and with John Favreau and Dave Filoni, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, Dave Filoni uh, was so pivotal with the Clone Wars and he he added context and, and a newfound appreciation to the prequels. And now him and John Favreau with the Mandalorian, this will essentially be the flagship of creating a much bigger appreciation for the sequel trilogy. And, and yes, it completely um, describes that. And And I love how when this episode ends, we see, you know, as um, I looked up his name, his name is Carson Tiva, the New Republic uh, pilot. Um, so I love how he says there's something coming. There's something still out there. And like what you said, for people, a lot of people watching it, that could just be a throwaway line. But then that episode ends with an Ar- Ar- Quintus class light cruiser, which again, uh, from Star Wars Rebels fame following the exact same shot composition as the start of a new hope comes into the, or comes into the shot. And then that's when we see that is what's coming, you know, Moff Gideon and the empire is still at work. And I think that's a question that I hope is answered uh, toward the end of the Mandalorian. Doesn't matter if it's this season or, or another season, more seasons to come. But I wonder if Moff Gideon is part of that new era. I wonder if he is being, kind of if he's in on the action with the first order or if he's just one of those like stragglers that was left behind by the empire cuz that that would be something really interesting to see and i think with this episode when we're going to go into the cloning right now but the fact that Moff Gideon is kind of spearheading this initiative that leads me to believe that somehow some way he is kind of like in cahoots with these people who are going to eventually start the first order years down the line people like admiral ray sloan you know yeah and i think i think it'd be really cool to see if maybe moff gideon isn't part of the first order maybe he's not trying to start the empire again what if he has a strange connection to this imperial fleet that came out of the middle of nowhere in the rise of skywalker that was out in the outer regions and you know he's got the he's got the task of trying to figure out cloning, and we all know what happens with Palpatine and the Rise of Skywalker with cloning. So mm-hmm. maybe there's a connection there where he's like he's out there trying to recruit and build for this massive fleet that ends up showing up in the Rise of Skywalker, which I actually wouldn't be mad with because. There's really no explanation or logical reason why all of those ships were just there. Like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. So, and trust me, once again, I like the sequel trilogy. I'm not trying to hit on it. 
but it doesn't make any sense. And so I think that they could do a little bit of that. And I mean, we have the idea of, I don't know if you just mentioned it. I apologize if I didn't hear it. Um, the idea that maybe they're trying to clone a body with midichlorians and, you know, we know Snoke was a clone, like he was made. So like, it could be that Moff Gideon plays around and fools around and makes, is a big factor in the making of Snoke. So maybe he, mm. he's in cahoots with Palpatine this whole time, but maybe he's in cahoots with Admiral Thrawn. I've heard some theories about that. Like he fails and has to answer to Thrawn. Like that would be insane because we have no idea where Thrawn is right now. And with a, with a rebel sequel already, I mean, did I hear that it was completed? Did you hear that? Or is that just me? Um, I know that there's a rebel sequel coming, but I don't know. Yeah. So, but they, you know, we're going to get more on Thrawn. We have to. So what if Thrawn is the person he's answering to? Who knows? I think we've got a lot of really, really good episodes coming up, let alone Ahsoka being in the next episode. Like, come on. Like, as a fan of Clone Wars and Rebels, like, I could not be more pumped. Yeah. And and also, I'm sure it's not coincidental at all that when we look at those uh, cloning tanks in the episode that Snoke's theme plays, you know, very faintly in the background. So obviously this this is very much leading up to um, context for the sequel trilogy. And I'm a very big fan of it while also expanding upon these new characters and this story, the overarching story of the series, which is connecting um, Baby Yoda back to his, his family, his species, whatever that will be. And that leads us into chapter 13, which comes out in just a couple of days, Chris, and it's titled The Jedi. So it appears we're going to get Ahsoka in this upcoming episode. And when there's Ahsoka, there's also Sabine. And when there's both of them, we know that they're trying to find Ezra. And again, when there's Ezra, you would think Thrawn is also somewhere there. Well, as you said that, but with there being a Rebels sequel in the works... um maybe there isn't Sabine with Ahsoka because maybe the sequel takes place where they find Ezra. Like that's, that's a, that's a big if, because we have no idea what that series is going to entail. So, I mean, there's a chance Sabine's going to be with Ahsoka. I mean, there's, she's already been rumored for this series and it would be a really hard for me to think that she'd be in any other episode. So definitely, I think it'll be a, uh, it's going to be a fun one. You know, you know how much I love Ahsoka. I read the Ahsoka book, everything I can get Ahsoka on, you know, it like, it's just, she's awesome. She's just a great character. Her character arc is incredible. She has like the, the teenage personality and then learns from Anakin. And then she has the tragedy of having to deal with her master become Darth Vader. And she didn't know that for the longest time. I think, I think that's just truly a, very and I mean we already got great Ahsoka content from Clone Wars season seven. You thought maybe they're wrapping Ahsoka's story. That's it, and then boom, they hit us with she's going to be a Mandalorian. Now we've already talked about our concerns about it being live action and see what she's going to look like, but I have faith in Filoni and Favreau that she's going to look pretty pretty darn good. And you know, I'm I'm more worried about the way she's going to sound because. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Rosario Dawson is not the 
person who voices her in the Clone Wars. Um, that's Ashley Eckstein. And, um, you know, Rosario Dawson is a, is a great actress. Don't get me wrong. And that's who's rumored to play her. I mean, there's a chance she's not playing her, but like, let's be honest. Um, it's, I think she'll do a good job, but we'll, I mean, it's really all up in the air. Like a lot is riding on this episode. We might get dark saber, lightsaber action. This episode is what I'm thinking. And that could be nuts. Yeah. And again, that's something that we didn't mention is, at the end of the episode, when Moff Gideon delivers that line, and we will be ready, he is in a room with that's lined with what looked to be dark troopers, uh, something else from the extended universe. And now that that tracking beacon is on the Razor Crest, you know when Mando goes to talk to Ahsoka. I mean, we're we're speculating here, but if he goes to if he goes and finds Ahsoka on Corvus, and they're talking about Baby Yoda, what's next on his plan? And then Moff Gideon comes with these with these dark troopers. I mean, this is this could be a very um, climactic episode in the series. And like what you said, Moff Gideon could one hundred percent fight Ahsoka. Um, if that's the case, I have my reservations on it because I would hope Ahsoka like destroys him. I mean, obviously not kills him because I love Moff Gideon. I want him to be in more of it. And John Carlo Esposito has done a fantastic job in the little screen time that he's gotten, but. I would I would not imagine that fight to last very long with how skilled Ahsoka is. No, I don't either. I think he might use it as like a defense mechanism. Um, because, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Giancarlo Esposito say something uh, in between, like in like July, about how there's really cool lightsaber action? Yeah, Giancarlo Esposito has said a lot <laughs> of things leading up to this uh, season. I think he even hinted at the fact that Moff Gideon was Force-sensitive, but um, he he kind of walked back walked back on that. Yeah, so and he said a lot. And I mean, you know, me and you love to watch the breakdowns on YouTube. Big shout out to Eric Voss of New Rock Stars. He brought up a good point when it comes to force sensitivity. Why would he be trying to get blood from the child if he could just use his own? So exactly. I don't think he's force sensitive. I think that kind of confirms it. So we'll see how how proficient he is with the dark saber. He might be proficient. You know, like he might not be that bad. Ahsoka might might have cut herself off from the Force. I don't know. I'm interested to see where this goes because, like I said, there's no footage in the trailers from the last four episodes because we've seen it all. So it's literally, we're in the dark. We have no idea what Corvus even looks like. Like yeah. I'm so looking forward and, to it. Yeah, and that's that's something I'm hoping that it stays that way because I really don't want, like, on Wednesday... Um, Wednesday in the morning, you wake up and you see like there's a teaser trailer for the new episode because I know that they did that last season and they were like, well, coming up on, on The Mandalorian season one, it's like, please don't do that for these next four episodes. Just let us walk in there blind and experience it fully because that temptation is going to be concerning if there is a teaser trailer for that. But but yeah, I mean, we know that Moff Gideon got a hold of the like, I mean, he took it from Bo-Katan because at the end of Rebels, Bo-Katan has the Darksaber, you know, and we still haven't found out about the Night of a Thousand Tears, which Moff Gideon says in um, in season one. So he obviously got it some way, and that would make, that would lead me to believe that he has some, you know, fighting prowess, and he was able to to best Bo-Katan in a, in a fight. Um, at, that's what I would think, but it's going to be really interesting to see, like, how how, Moff, how we learn how Moff Gideon gets the 
Darksaber and how he uses it. Because just the idea of, of Ahsoka and Moff Gideon fighting with the lightsaber, or maybe even down the line, Bo-Katan fighting Moff Gideon for the Darksaber, like, that's enticing. Honestly, that's so exciting. I'm I'm excited to see what, if the Darksaber changes hands. I could see maybe it not changing hands. Um, I, I hope that this season isn't the end of Moff Gideon. I really hope not. But if it is, I'm sure they'll do a great job with this character because they have so far. When the first two or three episodes, I was like, man, we're not getting any Moff Gideon. Then they have the hologram of him. And then the um, then they have that final scene at the end of episode four. And it's like, they're setting us up. Like, we're going to get plenty of Moff Gideon. And it's just, it's going to be so good. They've done so good with it so far. I just put my trust in them, you know? Absolutely. And he's he's just this, he's this phantom villain so far. Yes, we've seen him a couple of times, but we don't know anything about him. We don't know where he was when the Empire was in a full-on war with the Rebellion. Like, we don't we don't know anything that he's done outside of a few lines from... Um, from Din Djarin saying that he was an ISB officer. And other than that, like he's this phantom villain that we're going to get more of in these next four episodes, which is so exciting. And hopefully um, chapter 13, the Jedi, which is rumored to be 45 minutes long. um, Hopefully it pays off and it does some great fan service while also uh, furthering the plot. I mean, this episode is probably going to further the plot more than like these past three combined, you know, but um. I'm very excited. And I know Yeah, I mean, too. this is the plot we've been wanting to get further to. We want him to get to Ahsoka. So if he gets there and we don't, like, he doesn't run into another side quest, which, you know, the Jedi isn't confirmed for it to be labeled, correct? Right? It's still rumored, the Jedi? Yeah, it's rumored to be called so, the Jedi. It's still rumored, but, I mean, at this point, I'd be extremely disappointed if it wasn't. So... You know, yeah, I guess excitement's at an all-time high. Star Wars is in a great place. You know, the the TV series that they have been doing are incredible. Clone Wars was great. Mandalorian's great. And uh, you can't be mad. Like, it's just good Star Wars content. I'm sad we won't get a Star Wars movie for a while, but if this is what we get in, in like, instead, I can get used to it. It's it's good stuff. I'm sure. I'm sure you agree with me. Hundred percent, and it felt that at the end of last year we were we were at an all time low in terms of Star Wars because the reception to the Rise of Skywalker was just was so negative. You know, you said this earlier, and it just felt that you know you kind of had that in the back of your mind, like damn, is Star Wars done, or is is you know that that popularity has that faded, especially after the sequel trilogy. But the future's bright. I mean, we have. We have season two right now of The Mandalorian. We're going to have more seasons to come for this show. The Bad Batch, the Rebel sequel series. We still haven't heard anything about the Obi-Wan series, but we know it's going to happen. Cassian and K2 series, and of course, movies down the line. So we're in a very good place right now. And also not to mention a, a series of successful games that have, have come out in recent memory. So, yeah, Star Wars is in a very good yes, place. Yes, Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga coming out, what, April? Big news for Star Wars fans like right that. there. Should have been out. It should have been. We should. Have we should it. have it, but we don't. And I'm over that. I'm excited for it, though. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's going to end our episode. We we covered the first four episodes of The Mandalorian. We're halfway through, halfway to go, and uh, 
it's gonna be great. Hopefully, fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah, maybe. I'm assuming, and unless this episode's absolutely crazy, we'll be talking to you guys next at the end of the season, which will be right around Christmas. So everybody, have a good Thanksgiving. Have a great time watching the next few episodes of The Mandalorian, and we're looking forward to discussing them again. And thank you for listening. We really appreciate it.